0: Hey everybody, it's me Stu Helm, the food fan here at Food Fan Headquarters with another exciting episode of Asheville Food Fans. It is a podcast that I do throughout the week and then I string it together for broadcast on WPVM 103.7 FM, the progressive voice of the mountains here in beautiful Asheville, Western North Carolina. everybody. Welcome back to Food Fan Headquarters. And today I have some great interviews and a great show for you. And as you may or may not recall, I have decided to make the BCTDA, the Buncombe County Tourism Development Authority, one of my recurring and ongoing topics for this show and for my social media and my newsletter and such. And that is because it is A giant sized organization in our tiny little city and it affects us deeply and for a government organization there is a surprising amount of interest among the general population and if you live in Asheville you know why and perhaps you've got a similar thing going on in your city but uh, I attended a meeting last week and I made a post about it on my Facebook page which is usually all about food you know it's all about cheeseburgers and fried chicken and stuff But I made a post about the TDA meeting, pretty boring topic for my page. It got the highest reach of any post that week. People are incredibly interested in this topic. So with that in mind, I have invited an expert on to talk about this subject with me. Uh, He spoke at the TDA meeting, and all of the speakers from the public were very impressive. And today I have Ben Williamson, who is the volunteer organizer for an organization called Buncombe Decides. And... This is Ben's mission, is to talk about the TDA and to do something about it. And Ben, welcome to the show. How are you this morning?
1: Oh, uh, thanks, Stu. Really grateful to be here. Uh, yeah, excited to talk more about it. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for being here. And thanks for showing up to the meeting last week. I was uh, surprised by the amount of interest that my followers had in such a, <laughs> such a sort of random, boring government meeting with the slideshow presentation and everything. But um, you spoke and so did other representatives uh, from the food and beverage industry, two people from Asheville Food and Beverage United and a realtor spoke as well, and a couple of other people, my friend Lucho. Um, so, but Ben, why don't I just hand the floor over to you? And first, if you don't mind, explain a little bit what Buncom Decides is, and then we'll talk about the things you spoke about at the meeting.
1: Yeah, sure. You know, Bunkum Decides is just a grassroots, um, really kind of home base. It's not, it's not my day job. We don't charge memberships or uh we're not tied to any funding source. Um, it's just really a home base, bunkumdecides.org, for people that are interested in learning more about the TDA or becoming um active in uh events or actions uh around the issue. Um, To just kind of have a a place where folks can come together and learn about what some other municipalities are doing with occupancy tax, learn a little bit more about the impacts here in Buncombe, um, and you know sign up or uh, participate in events like like the other night when we spoke at the TDA. So, um, you know we've I've been involved with you know downtown organizing or activism in various forms for years and. I think, you know, maybe one of the reasons what's interesting about the TDA um, is the interest uh, around this issue has been really sustained. It's been at a high level and um, uh, people have been interested in it for a long time, um, which is different. You know, usually things come and go. Our news cycle is so fast and issues rise up and people get fired up and then they go away. But um, the TDA, because there's so much money involved and because it's really transformed our entire county over the last decade or so, um, it's easy for people to find a connection, I think, to the issue and um, have various opinions about how it's impacting their lives and their kids' lives, et cetera.
0: I agree with everything you just said. Um uh, just I want to clarify for the listeners, the TDA, their mission uh, statement, and they've been around since the mid 80s, I believe, and their mission statement is to collect taxes. That's the number one line on their mission statement page, collect taxes around occupancy. So occupancy taxes means hotel rooms, Airbnb, uh, bed and breakfasts, inns, things like that. So all occupancy taxes, they collect it, and then their mission is to spend it, to figure out how to spend it, to promote tourism. And boy howdy, they have promoted promoted tourism very well. Uh, they've done their job, and they've been doing it for a long time, and it's really come to a crescendo. And it's come to a point where it's a bit too much, uh, the locals think. I mean, it's a it's a weird balance because we need it, but it's – when it's too much, it's too much. There's just a tipping point where the town becomes less enjoyable for the locals, and then that affects the bottom line of all the businesses all winter and stuff like that. So it's a big issue, and uh, the and they have recently changed up their mandate a little bit. Well, let me back up a little bit. Um, they have been, for the most part, from what I can discern, spending their millions of tax dollars – our millions of tax dollars – on advertising almost exclusively. Can you speak about that a little bit? Yeah.
1: So you're right in that the TDA was formed, uh, I think, 83, 84. And if you're a longtime resident of Asheville, Buncombe, you remember how different downtown was then. It was really, you know, economically depressed and, um, you know, shops boarded up and really nobody went down there. And um, so there was, I think you could make a strong argument that there was a need for it then, and and other. There's TDAs all over the state and really all over the United States. Um, so you're right. They've over the years have have really uh, accomplished their mission uh, very very well. And Asheville is firmly on the on every top ten list. And um, they have encouraged so many people and events to come here and really transformed our downtown and provided. Um, uh, uh, a lot of uh, economic resources for a lot of folks here, um, but just like anything, and like you mentioned, you know, you can have too much of a good thing. And um, so now, as as you know, and many of your listeners know, um, there's been some some impacts. You know, housing prices, rental inventory, uh, cost of living. You know, we have the lowest wages on average of of any North Carolina metro area uh, m- because we have such a tourism. Dependent economy, um, service jobs and hospitality jobs and food service jobs are lowest on average, of you know of of different economic sectors in terms of wages. Uh, combine that with cost of living. Our poverty rate in Buncombe has gone up, even though statewide and nationally it's going down. Uh, homelessness, you know, up twenty one percent last year. So, um, even though you see the surge of tourism and hospitality dollars, and that's surely beneficial for a small number of people, uh, the majority of economic indicators that are s- most important to the health and uh, uh, safety and uh, vibrancy of a community uh, are struggling in Buncombe right now. So um, it's not working for most working people and that that's what gives us concern and that's why we're advocating uh, for change.
0: Well said. Um, and the major issues are, of course, housing, whether that's rentals or first-time house... Buyers, And I was very heartened and impressed with the real heartened by and impressed with the realtor who spoke and how she talked about how the TDA has directly affected the cost of buying a house um, because they have promoted our city to in bigger cities around the country and around the world. People with those big city incomes have come here to visit, and then especially during the pandemic shutdown, uh, the bigger cities were less desirable, so a lot of them bought a home or a second home, or let's face it, a third or fourth home here in Asheville, gobbled up the the available property, uh, willing to pay just about anything for it, so that now, she said, the average cost of a startup house is half a million dollars in our little tiny mountain community. Um, That's really tough for anybody who doesn't have a high income. And so let's talk about some of the solutions, Ben, because there are some. For one thing, there's a recent change to the mandate and how they can spend their tax dollars. And the wording for the change to me seems so vague that it leaves a lot of opportunity. so can you talk about that a little bit yeah please? and
1: I, I didn't answer that part of your previous question, but you know when the TDA was formed um, you know seven the the state legislation and this all it's not a local ordinance that formed the tDA all of the statewide tDAs are come through the general Assembly, our state legislature in Raleigh. Um, And it was originally for Buncombe County, 75% of all occupancy tax revenues had to uh, go out for advertising, um, where 25% could go to community projects, as long as they could show that they promoted uh, increased visitation. Uh, Recently, last year, uh, that 75% got dropped to 66%, which um, you know, we'd like to see much more, but that that's a significant change and historic, uh, changes to TDAs are, are rare, uh, in Raleigh to, to actually get past, um, and the creation of a new fund, which we'll talk about in a second, which is, which is why we were at the TDA advocating, uh, for its use to help with housing. But, um, so there's been, and that, that change in Raleigh was really the result of years of community, sustained community pressure, um, from folks that are, um, you know, really interested and passionate about this issue. Um, And luckily our elected leaders listened and uh, worked with folks, including the TDA uh, to help it get passed. So we're grateful for that. And we think it's a good first step, uh, but we're obviously interested in step two, three, and 10 to get this closer (laughs) to, um, you know, something that's really a vehicle for economic justice and can really get that imbalance that we've discussed something that's, um, That's more of a balance where we can have tourism be a a, a critical part of our local economy, but not to where it's damaging and um, um, eradicating, you know, what's what's special and and great about this place. But um, going back to housing, you know, housing is so important to the hospitality industry and really all of our economic sectors, um, because you really there's so many things that we want to address. We want to address poverty. We want to address education. We want to address healthcare. We want to address housing but it's really difficult to move those other indicators without tackling housing first it's really difficult to address poverty or health or education without a secure affordable place to live so if you're going to pick one and there's research on this um, you can google the housing first model if you'd like but um, if you're going to pick one to start with and one to prioritize It really makes sense to start with housing um, to then give your, you know, a catalyst uh, to go after these other um, issues, whatever people are are dealing with. So that's why I think it's relevant to the TDA. And um, and that's what we were advocating for uh, last week's meeting.
0: Well, yes, it all starts with housing, because if you're not secure with a place to live, it's really, really difficult to get the rest of your life together in terms of health care, child care, things like that. Like even if you're housed, but you're living with the sort of Damocles over your head that at any minute your rent could go up exorbitantly high or your unit could be turned into an Airbnb uh, with no notice. Um, It's just very, very stressful. And for our service industry workers, our food and beverage people, you know, they've got pretty stressful jobs anyways. Uh, It's not like being a surgeon or anything like that, but dealing with the public is not easy. So the, the buildup of stress really starts to affect quality of life and so i think that when a government organization is promoting tourism and the people who work for that industry are having a decreased quality of life because of the directly because of the actions of the organization that's promoting tourism then that organization does have some responsibility to address the issue So thanks for tying them together at the meeting, because it was a stretch of the imagination. And I'm not sure that the folks who sit on the TDA, like, we don't know. They said, thank you for speaking, but we don't know if they are going to do anything about it. They've got this discretionary fund. You alluded to it. And maybe it's technically not called a discretionary fund. I'm not the most economically savvy person, but uh, what is it called? It's got a funny name, like Lyft.
1: Yeah, it's it's so when they tweaked the legislation last year which reduced the 75% to advertising down to 66. So that remaining 33 is now split into two different funds. Uh one is called the Tourism Product Development Fund. That's what they've had there uh for years and that goes to nonprofit capital projects, so tangible buildings um that can show uh an increase in tourism. So The LEAF offices downtown got a grant for that. The YMI um, uh, renovation got a grant for that. Um, It could be ball fields or greenways, you know, different different things that promote tourism that have to go to nonprofits. The new fund is called LIFT, Legacy Investment from Tourism. And it has vaguer, uh, more vague language um, that says funds from that uh, can go to community projects, Um, that still have to be linked to tourism. So at current levels, that fund's going to end up around six or $7 million this year. So we would love to see all of that go to housing. Um, Designating that to service workers allows for the connection to tourism. Um, And, you know, linking it to an area nonprofit like Mountain Housing Opportunity or Housing Authority of Asheville, et cetera, um, we think would be a, a great use of those funds. So that that's what we were we were advocating for and and you know going back to the committee and whether they were receptive or not you know these are we've we've never really lobbied the TDA cuz like you said they're they're just doing their job they're doing what the state legislators ask them to do they're marketing professionals they're they run breweries and hotels and restaurants mm-hmm. um we've really targeted the county commission because ultimately they are the gatekeeper of the TDA and really have the most local power in, in changes around that. But from the business perspective and what we were trying to tell the TDA last week is this is really in speaking from a business um, viewpoint, this is really in your best interest to protect your bottom line. Uh, we know local major hospitality employers have already reached out to Mountain Housing and others about workforce housing solutions because they're already struggling um, to to handle the operations they currently have because their employees don't have places to live and they're having to bus them in and do these different things. So it's not a matter of if they're going to move in a direction to provide housing for employees. It's really a matter of when. And so their choice is, do you want to be on the front end of this and be preventative uh, and hopefully have a choice to protect your long-term profits? Or do you want to be reactive and scramble to try to get this done and probably sacrifice some of these these long-term dollars. So it's just a matter of sustainability. Um, And I think as smart as they are, assuming as smart as they are from a business standpoint, um, they'll be receptive to this, if not now, very soon. And we're seeing it, you know, out West, especially where uh, some of the housing issues are exacerbated, the ski towns, the mountain towns, they've already gone way further than we're talking about going with TDAs uh, and sending much more of those funds into social service programs like housing and childcare just to be able to have employees to operate their restaurants, to drive their buses, to take reservations of their clients. Um, So it's a a matter of time that that comes to Asheville. It's already happening, uh, but I think it's the, the crisis level will only get higher and higher and they'll, they'll have to do something if they want to stay in business.
0: That's true. I mean, it's just, we live in a capitalist society and a crumbling housing uh infrastructure affects everybody's bottom line eventually, you know, and so and and um i wanna um veer away a little bit from that to I mentioned at the top of their mission statement, the collection of taxes, and at the very bottom is a line about part of their mission is to preserve the unique character and culture of Asheville, so that is part of their mission. Now, to me, it was a little telling that that was at the bottom and collecting taxes was at the top, but that's government, right? Uh, And so I think that it's important. It was great to hear the people who stood up and talked directly quoting the TDA's website about keeping Asheville weird. And here they were, the representatives of the food beverage industry, and I'm one of them. I work for the tourism industry. I'm a tour guide. And... You can look at me, I'm a little bit weird, right? And so the people in the food industry kind of fit that mold. And here they were saying like, you're bragging about having us on your website and you're squeezing us out of the housing market. We are part of Asheville's unique culture and um, character. And I thought that that was an important part. I always like to inject some humanity and some some heart into any conversation and I feel like some of the speakers really brought that that humanity.
1: Completely agree. We we had an amazing group of speakers, um, and I, I know that we'll be speaking again at future uh, events like that and others. So if folks are interested, um, you know, we we hope that they reach out to any of the number of the organizations that were there, and we can we can mention those at the end. But um, yeah, I mean, we 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 told them that our brand, the Asheville Buncombe brand is the experience that our visitors have when they come here. So we're really trying to help them understand by protecting and supporting the service workers and the locals that make up that experience, all you're doing is protecting your business moving forward. So it's not not taking money away from your business to send this money to housing or other programs that, that take care of the local community. Um, it's really putting money into your business and into the community that allows you to operate these businesses. Um, there is no business without you know folks to clean these rooms or without folks to wait these tables and wash these dishes so um i I know that they know that and and I hope that they don't view Asheville Buncombe as this inexhaustible resource that they can just mine profits out of year after year. Um That's how it feels to a lot of us sometimes, and that we are. Uh, the workers of Asheville and Buncombe are this, you know, disposable resource that are just forgotten and and pushed aside. You know, another request that we made at the meeting was this lift fund that we mentioned earlier was going to distribute these millions of dollars each year into the community. Um, We want service worker and community worker representation on that committee. Our big problem with the TDA right now is, is we're not anti-tourist, but, the body itself is really anti-democratic. There's no elected official that has voting uh, on that board. They're all appointed. Um, They can spend that money however they want and we can't vote them in or out. So we would love to see those decisions be passed to the county commission, which is a democratically elected body. They have a transparent citizen-involved budget process. So if we have an issue with that or how they decide to do things, we can vote them out, put other people in or reward them by keeping them there, et cetera. Uh, and at least all of those discussions are out in the open. And, um, you know, that's not really the system now. So at least with Lyft, uh, we'd love to see some some regular folks, working folks on that committee. They're the ones that are making that money. They're the ones that are most impacted by how that money is spent. They should be at the ones on at the table being a part of the decisions. Um, so that's that's another big ask that we made.
0: Yeah. And the the hospitality workers are like literally the face of Asheville for the tourists. We are the people they see, they talk to, they get advice from on what to do. Like we are the sort of default liaisons or ambassadors for our city. And I know the TDA appreciates what I do. For one thing, I do it for free. So they mm-hmm. love that about me. But I'm I'm a friendly ambassador for the food scene in our city. So I know that they really love what we do. I'm just not sure that they have made the, imag- the, the stretch of the imagination to connect housing to their budget, but I really think that you guys all made a really strong argument for that. And I want to encourage everybody who hears this to go check out bunkumdecides.org. There are some wonderful bullet points, uh, make it easy to talk about to other people and to understand the the the. Positives as well as the many negatives of how not not the negatives of the TDA itself. It's a positive thing. It's just they're hamstrung in how they can spend money. And it no longer benefits us to continue to spend that money in one way and just hammer advertising over and over and over again. So it's great to hear that there's this wiggle room. The the county seems very receptive to listening to the thoughts of the citizens. And the city has very little control over the TDA. It's true. but
1: yeah, We'll see how it goes. I mean, the, the TDA has been receptive. We've met with county commission, oh, I'm sorry, county city council members, county commission members, TDA members, um, you know, nonprofit leaders, uh, chamber of commerce leaders. So we'll continue to have those conversations and those are great for us. Our next step is actually meeting with some of our new state legislators around this. Um, so we'll see if the TDA actually... I guess, literally puts their money where their mouth is. And if the county commission um, is able to hold them accountable, if not, you know, hopefully they will, but if not, then um, you know, we'll have to continue to, um, to apply pressure and perhaps in different ways, but um, we're assuming best intent right now that, um, and really trying to work with these bodies versus um, against them.
0: I think I, I, I hope, and I think, I believe that there's good intent. I, I know people on the TDA personally, I enjoy their company. I like them as human beings. Um, And I I hope that everybody is going to work together to to preserve that unique nature of Asheville. That's part of why people come here. Um, All right, Ben, one last thing. I told you at the end of the show, I do like to ask my guests uh, if they have a particular food or even just kind of food or a restaurant or even a particular dish that they want to sort of uh, shout out.
1: Yeah um so I'll a shameless plug my my wife uh is in owns a food service business and um she used to run the sunflower diner over on Haywood Road it's like a vegan comfort food place and um now has moved on to a vegan wholesale bakery business which supplies a number of coffee shops um in Buncombe County and beyond but back porch bakery is her back porch baking excuse me is her business and you can find them on Instagram but really anything she makes is is my favorite um she made this uh sort of sweet potato curry hand pie thing um a week or two ago which pretty much floored me so i'm going to i'm going to go with that uh really any <laughs> anything my wife does is pretty amazing so i'm 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 happy to to shout her out and thank you for shouting out the website people can definitely go there but um, you know, we work really closely with Asheville Food and Beverage United. So um, anybody on here that's in the service industry, if you're not already familiar with them, I hope that you'll you'll look them up. And Ashevilleforall.org for uh, all dot org is a local affordable housing um, nonprofit that we work a lot with. And they're amazing as well. So Thank you. Awesome. So much.
0: Well, yeah, I, I totally forgot that Hyatt is your wife. I I love Hyatt. I've known her for a long, long time when she was at the West Village Market. Is that what it was called? Oh,
1: yeah. And it.
0: there's like a wonderful food program in the back with vats of soup and stuff. And she was making great stuff. And back at that time, paleo was a big uh, mm-hmm. trend. And so she was proudly showing me her paleo foods. Um, and I, I recently, or I guess not that recently, I need to get some more of her food in me. But not that long ago, I had one of her vegan little miniature pumpkin pies, I believe, at Citizen Vinyl. And it was really, really good. So, yeah, shout out to Back Porch Baker. Is that what
1: it's Uh, called? Back Porch Baking Company, yeah. But it's on Instagram and the website. And uh, But, yeah, they're all over town. And she puts, whenever she delivers uh, to different coffee shops, she'll put it on her Instagram. And folks can go chase uh, the amazing vegan stuff all through town. But, yeah, and shout out to West Village Market. Roseanne and her team are amazing. And they're still there doing great stuff.
0: Fantastic. Well, Ben, it's great talking to you. So much information. Uh, Perhaps when there's more news, we'll have you back on. And um, I hope you have a wonderful day today.
1: I appreciate it, Stu. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks, everybody, for listening and watching.
0: Thank you. Hey everybody, it's me, Stu Helm, the food fan, and I am here in the basement of the S&W building. I've actually never been down here. There's a bar down here. I know that the drinkers know about it, but I've never been down here, but it's lovely. And I'm here with two people who are new, new-ish to town, new Very-ish, to the s yeah. <laughs> very newish, and new to the S&W cafeteria. I'm here with, uh, introduce yourselves. Peyton Burrell.
2: Katie
0: Grayback, Katie and Peyton. And you're here, you're about to open a place called Gourmand. That is correct. And yeah. the people are so excited about this. Tell us everything we need to know about Gourmand right now. Right now.
2: Beautiful. <laughs> uh, well, we'll hit you with the elevator pitch. So Gourmand yes. is a cheese and charcuterie shop uh, that will function as a small little wine bar in the evening. Uh, it's like directly inspired from all the cabmaches of Paris. You know, a simple food offering, really, really good wine, a casual chill spot. You know, uh, the whole goal is to have... Just like a, a relaxed approach to service, a relaxed approach to the wine list, and it just be a spot that's like perfect pregame, perfect postgame. Also, like a great substitution for dinner. You know, the the menu is going to change regularly. Okay, uh, what we have in the case, the charcuterie, ninety nine percent of it's going to be European cheese. We're going to sneak in some domestic producers that we really love, uh, Looking Glass Creamery, somebody we just visited and absolutely fell in love with their stuff. So the the the, what we have in the case, you know, constantly change Just we find a new company, we find a new product, we get it in there. The wine bar is going to be kind of based off of what we've got in the case. You know, we always want charcuterie and cheese to be in the forefront. And then uh, hopefully we're, we're planning right now to source the entirety of the wine bar menu from the farmer's market. So it's really going to kind of rely on what we pick up on Wednesday and what we pick up on Friday and that's what we're gonna serve through the weekend. You know, we're gonna likely buy like 200 oysters a week and those are all the oysters we have. We're gonna buy a very small amount of fish every single day because we don't have that much to store. Okay. So it's, uh, it's just gonna be like a fresh, constantly changing concept. You know, The backbone of everything will be French. Uh, that is what we're passionate about. That's what we're most knowledgeable about. That will always be like a 50 to 60% of everything that's in that space will be French. French and then you know you wouldn't be surprised if you find like a little like vegetable forward like izakaya dish or like a very classic Spanish tapa you know it really is kind of a just whatever we want to do whatever we're excited about you know if we have a wine that we think would pair well with a certain dish like, we might make that dish and the exact same in the reverse so fantastic yeah we're super excited about it
0: well I'm excited as well and I understand you guys just did a pop-up recently with plebe wine
2: yes, yes. continuing yeah uh (laughs) phenomenal stuff yeah really cool uh we wanted to do something to kind of monetize our r&d okay and we just cold called them about two weeks ago and just kind of like wrote a little love letter (laughs) about how much we love the wine and love the space and uh, it worked out that their previous uh food truck had left in january and space and then it all kind of aligned and so we'll be doing that every saturday and sunday until we open
0: Fantastic. Oh, every Saturday and Sunday until you open, which brings up when are you opening?
2: Well, that is. (laughs) Katie heaves a sigh. All depends on the city.
0: The city. Okay, what are you waiting on?
2: Oh, we're just waiting on like our final two approvals. Approvals. Okay, Uh,
1: paperwork. We
2: literally just got an email about that. Hopefully that will be done in the next week or so. So Okay. We got the contracts primed up and ready to go. We're shooting for uh, like an announced public opening yeah. first week of March that's okay. what we're saying we're not picking a day all right. um,
0: yeah. it all, it'll always change I think
2: <laughs> and the day that we say we're going to be open we're going to be open a week before that yeah. to kind of figure it out so <laughs> okay. you know, so your, your people will know that no one else
0: <laughs> alright alright well that's uh, you know so you're going to do sort of a soft opening yeah. leading up to the public announcement we're yeah. open ready for business it's the way to do it right yeah. make right. sure you get the bugs worked out for before sure. the public descends with their Yelp opinions and absolutely. stuff yeah. absolutely
2: and we just like you know it's a new space. It's uh-huh. a new town. Yeah, we are gonna have uh, a lot of stuff to test and try. Some staff to train. So I think that one day we're just gonna silently open, and we're gonna be open. We're not gonna say anything. Our Instagram is gonna be silent. Okay, and we're gonna operate for like a week, figure it out, and then, uh, yeah. you know, we've surprisingly in the last month met a lot of people, made a lot of new friends. Yeah. So we're gonna have some big, you know, party in the S&W, and then hopefully right. not be 200 over for a grand opening the
0: following day. So. Okay, so not even really a soft opening, but a stealth opening, yeah. almost. <laughs> yeah, okay.
2: Yeah, we like the stealth opening. Okay. We want to figure it out, and then we want to like do something special for our friends, family. Uh, you know, We had a great clientele in New Orleans, right. a lot of truly loyal, great, supportive people that found us at a farmer's market and stayed with us for two and a half years, regular customers. Uh, so we want to do something to have a lot of those
0: people up here. Cool. And speaking of your uh, journey up here from New Orleans, I read a little bit of your background, and you got chased by some bad luck in the beginning. You had the uh, pandemic and the big storm down there. Um, really kind of put the kibosh on your early plans, but you guys seem very resilient. Keep on coming back. Determined. and now <laughs> Determined, yeah, yeah. Are
2: we stupid, determined? <laughs> but, uh, uh,
0: let's, let's say uh, determined and yeah. resilient, strong, <laughs> strong-willed.
2: Uh, really, I think a lot of our bad luck sucks, but kind of pushes us out of the box. And then we figure out like our next thing. So, um, you know, I won't take you back to the beginning of time, but we were in <laughs> New York before COVID, had okay. dream jobs. Katie's at the Marriott Marquis doing uh, events of 500 to 5,000 people. I was at a Michelin star French restaurant called Petard in Tribeca. Dream jobs across the board. Yeah. We were killing it, loved it. Uh, we were... Working on potentially getting some work over in Europe as well through a friend. Um, you know, the world shut down. Obviously, Katie's job for sure at the time was like, nobody's gonna do a 500 person event for like the eternity. Love. Yeah, it's, yeah. Just starting. it's just starting to get back <laughs> to, get back to the right. stuff that size. And you know, in fine dining, luxury things, always the first thing to go during traveling times. So mm-hmm. we both were kind of like, you know, New York, LA, Chicago, Miami, the huge cities are going to be the last to kind of come back to life is what our prediction was at the time. And so we just kind of got tired of resting on our laurels and uh, we called my dad. uh, He lives in New Orleans and him and a couple of his friends have a wine importing company. And we're kind of like, look, we're trying to figure out what we're going to do. We want to do something on our own. We're not sure what that exactly is yet, uh, but we want to like do our own thing. So we went back to New Orleans, started Gourmand with the idea that like we were going to open like a wine shop with a small little bistro attached to it uh and it turned out within 30 days the legalities of your and being an importer and what you can do like uh-huh. with alcohol after that basically made that impossible yeah okay. it was, and all this stuff and so we kind of went there for that and then we were like okay we're just gonna do our own thing uh, i was still you know COVID was raging so we kind of like operated like a ghost kitchen operation okay. um, just doing some catering stuff, you know, like drop offs, whatever kind of getting a feel for the market. And, um, we had this one guy is the chef owner of a restaurant called Coquette, which is, uh, you know, a long time beloved restaurant in new Orleans. He opened up a small grocery shop because his restaurants were hemorrhaging money, but they were all doing like wine clubs yeah. and the wine yeah. clubs were killing it. And so yeah. he opens at a small little grocery store. Um, funny enough, his, the liquor situation with that didn't work out. So he ended up just selling food, but it, he bought uh, one of our dinners, and there was a pate it was the first course of one of these like fancy dinner kits we were doing, and he fell in love with it. And he's like, "You should start selling this." And we had done like a couple of farmers markets, you know, with some over purchasing or we had under orders. You know, we go to the farmers market, sell some stuff, and he's like, "You should start wholesaling these. You should get into like dive into the shark foodery. This stuff is amazing." And uh, he was like, "I'll fund you know your first like three huge orders here at Suprette. Like go and do it, and literally, we were like emailing his like business manager, like, "What type of labeling do we need? Like, Uh what you know? Like, we have no idea how to do this." And Uh uh, they kind of were like, "All right, here, like the ten things you need to do to be like good to go." So you had
0: a bit of a mentor in this person. It
2: was like, yeah, for like fourteen days, he basically taught us how to run a wholesale business, and then he was kind of like, go and. Leave me alone now. Long and prosper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's like I've done my, my job. You know, go out and uh, okay. He gave us our first like real entrance into like a store, and then that like took off, and so we became a charcuterie wholesale company. It was like number one private events is something we've always kind of done. Uh, as a great like you know supplement to cash flow, especially. It's not what we were exactly wanted to do for the rest of our lives, but it just worked out really well. You know, uh-huh. like people love a good cheese and charcuterie board. Uh-huh. If you happen to make 70% of the things on the board yourself, you know, uh, it's, it's really, it really, cool. Like yeah, 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 absolutely. So,
0: so let me ask you, how, how did you end up here in Asheville, And how did you specifically get tuned into the S and W?
2: So Hurricane Ida hit yeah. us at like the peak of our wholesale business. So that was like, 2020, when we met Mike and Mike got us into Suprette. And by January, 15 stores locally, one in Lafayette. We were selling the Highlands wine shop up in Highlands. The wholesale stuff blew up. Um, and in the summer in New Orleans, you don't do a lot of business outside of the French Quarter. And we had a five person staff at this time. We worked all summer long, sandbagging inventory. So we could do a ton of events in the winter and not have to do like uh, charcuterie production. Hurricane Ida hits. And uh, I mean, you know, money money's tight that time of the year. Our inventory was obscenely large because, you know, it's charcuterie, you know, mm-hmm. you make a thousand units at once, so you sit on them for a year and they just get better. Sure. So uh, we lost almost everything in the hurricane. We were in a building that had four industrial generators like the size of a shipping container. On okay, the roof. wow. And the engineer to the building got stuck outside of New Orleans. And no one changed the oil on oh, the generator, God, which is so like generator 101. Yeah. Uh, so they burn out three of the generators in the first like 72 hours after we had already evacuated and we came back, it's all gone. Wiped out. Yeah. And because we were in a building with four generators, we didn't insure the inventory because it was like, no way, yeah, no way up. that you yeah. burn through four industrial yeah. generators. Right, uh, right. And learned. so we like, Lesson lost. Lesson learned, indeed. Yeah. So we lost yeah. everything we evacuated up to my mom's house and cashers uh, for 30 okay. days, we were without power. And that's when we kind of decided that like a change needed to happen. Okay, Cause there's just no longevity in a business like that. You know, I feel for all the wine distributors in Louisiana, because yeah. I mean, every year you're rolling the dice, whether you're going to ship your whole inventory into another state to try and save it. I mean, it is okay. just uh, it was brutal. So that happens. We decided there was a change we had vacationed here a number of times, spent a ton of time in Highlands and Cashers and would always like dip out to Asheville, escape sure. the parents for, you know, the yeah. of civilization. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so it just slowly became like, you know, Oh, we like this. Oh, we'd live here. And then it was like, all right, this is like either where we're going to move or where we're going to open our second restaurant. Uh, we knew one person here, uh-huh. his sister happened to be a residential broker. She didn't know, uh, Burns Aldridge at all. It she's like I just heard this guy is good. Give him a call. So we met Burns um,
1: so like February commercial.
2: of March of last year, and we looked at some buildings and he told us about the S and W, and super excited about it. We weren't gonna be able to sell wine. Passed on the opportunity, and then he called us like in June. And he's like, "You can sell wine," and we cool. were like, "Done deal." Like, yeah. let's do it. Uh, and all right. you know we like. Looked at all the details. Looked at the space. Uh, I mean, it's if, if we don't kill it here, it's because of us. You know? Okay. We have, we have front window space. Yeah, you Big do. beautiful building. Yeah. Uh, the way that it's structured is like you're really set up for success uh, in this space. You know, which is very different from like a number of other spots that we've like looked at. I mean.
0: It's a totally unique building. There's I mean, no building absolutely. like it no, around to- here. Yeah. It's, it's totally gorgeous. unique in
2: like almost every... And I think like, our concept you know? is really unique, so
0: it fits yeah. the build. It's gonna be I agree. Like, uh, the S&W, even though it was built to be a cafeteria back in the day... It is a fancy, fancy building, and so I think some fancy uh, food suits. And and right now, there's like hot dogs, fried chicken, bao buns, ice cream, and empanadas, and none of those are really fancy. Hot dogs, nobody's calling that fancy. Um, but I think that your charcuterie uh, and wine is really going to, like especially your right as you walk in the door, so I think that's going to sort of class up the place a lot and fits in with what what the building looks like and feels like. Yeah, it's a totally different option. And I think all the other vendors are so great. Yeah.
2: We're having a great time pairing wine, too, yeah. like everything. Like for pairing us, wine like with we, a hot dog. Yeah. We have a, a yeah. date <laughs> night that we do like once a year, and it's like a magnum of rose fried chicken from preferably Popeyes, <laughs> and not anymore, and caviar. And so we're thinking like, if you get a Buxton fried chicken sandwich, like yeah. come get a glass of rosé from us, and we will scoop like an ounce of caviar yeah. on your fried we chicken really sandwich. Are you know?
0: Perfect, I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All the other menus. Oh, I can we'll imagine what you might do with Chef Santiago yeah, and absolutely with, um, yeah. Shorty's crew. So That's bun intended. No,
2: it's it's going to be fantastic. I mean, like really, French food is very diverse, and you know, there's thousands of wines that aren't from France you compare with French food. But like in the wine side of things. You know, we've got, like, six different things. And I like to think a glass Good. of really nice champagne goes well with a hot dog, you know. Like, yeah. I love the high-low. Good. Like, I would eat foie gras with a Budweiser, you know. This, <laughs> this is very
0: Asheville. Asheville loves to, like, crumble some Funyuns on top of, like, yeah. a Kobe burger or yeah. Absolutely, like that, you know. High-low. And
2: so, like, we want to keep it – you know, we want to be casual. We want to be chill. Uh-huh. Like, we don't want to be, like, the –
0: Pretentious.
2: Yeah, yeah. Like, we don't want to be, like, the one douche in the friend group, you know.
0: <laughs> we want –
2: You know, we wanna be like, you know, French food people think like tuxedo, table side, sauce pouring, but that's really not like the France that that we seek out when we go to France. You know, like. We love the peasant food. our Our favorite bar served us like a, the most rustic pate that she baked in an easy bake oven. I sat on a crate, which a man of my size should not sit on a wine box, with my knees like in my chest at this little table. And that was one of, I think, our favorite dining or like wine and food experiences of our entire lives. So, you know, it was that's like, great. and then we were drinking a bottle of wine that's blowing your mind. Yeah, so, yeah. And you're eating like an amazing saucy saucisson, but in and itself is like the most minimalistic, simple, unpretentious operation of all
0: time. That's and- great. Well, I'm going to wrap it up. But one last thing, uh, speaking of that French food does not always have to be like sauce poured out of a little silver chalice mm-hmm. or anything. Uh, I saw that you're going to have ham and butter sandwiches. Oh yeah, yeah. Ham um, and butter. That's what I ate when I went to Paris. It's ham and butter. This was our a morning baguette. routine in yes.
2: Paris. Yes, we would wake up, you know, like about nine nine thirty. Katie stays in bed. I walk down the street, two double espressos, a bag a ham and a butter sandwich.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Walk back, ham sandwich in bed. Yes, to start every single day of our entire trip to Paris. Now and you're talking. I highly recommend that to anyone. Uh-huh. It's a great way to start the
0: day. Absolutely. Your
2: doctor's going to disagree. Yeah, but, uh, totally. But what do they well, know? He know? Yeah. What do they know?
0: Um, so, yeah, that made me excited because, yeah, I do love really fancy food, for sure. Absolutely. But I love just a, a sandwich, you know. And I saw some of the sandwiches you guys were featuring on your Instagram page and such, and it looked great.
2: Yeah, we're excited. We all we love to do a Bon Me. Yeah, I saw you know, that. Uh, that's, yeah, with that's pate. Some- yeah, with pate always, you know that's something. Uh, the dot com fee bon me was something that we did. Is like a Mardi Gras pop up. We wanted to figure out a way to like cover our bar tab for Mardi Gras. Great. So every day we made a hundred bon Mi's, put it in a cooler, rolled it out to the parade, and we just. Caught beads and sold sandwiches and uh you know had a great that's up. great that's so, how people
0: fund their whole lifestyle yeah. following the Dave Matthews band around the <laughs> yeah. country right you're selling tacos and buying tickets it's the <laughs> greatest thing ever so well, it's yeah the best. and like uh, the
2: Shambon burr and especially like I like the Shambon burr a cornichon like I to me a little bit of cornichon yeah. on there and I so agree. it takes yeah. it to the next yeah. step yeah I you agree
0: know? gives it that little. Little bit of kick. Yeah. yeah.
2: So I mean that'll be a staple. That will never go away. Um, right. I love to make Parisian hams. That's something I love. I don't think we're gonna be able to handle the volume with my making of the hams okay. uh, in the S and W. But we're looking at But maybe every
0: three. once in a while it'll be your we'll ham sink, will yeah. be featured. We'll see. A it banner out. day in downtown.
2: And we're gonna have a commissary, so I think a couple of months down the line we're gonna get into like, you know, the Jambon is gonna okay. be a project that we take on in house. But uh right. a lot of the food too will be based in charcuterie technique. Like That's sure. a lot of things we do. So, yeah. like, you know, duck confit is basically charcuterie. You know, there will be locks. You know, we'll be doing a lot of confit, a lot of poaching, a lot of things that don't create grease-laden vapor. Right. It's, yeah. it's our, that's it's our, long long that's our box right there. Yeah. There's no grease-laden uh, vapors into the air. So that's as long right. as we don't do that, we can do anything. Yeah. So I'm, I'm super excited for this.
0: Um, All right. Well, Pey- Peyton, Katie, it was. I almost called you Paddy and Katen. <laughs> oh my god! Does that happen? Everyone does. Everybody that is either <laughs> Katen
2: or Payton. Oh, oh my Even god.
0: our parents. Oh, <laughs> if your parents do yeah. it, then I don't feel so bad. <laughs> <does it>. Well, <laughs> thanks for talking with me, and I'm super excited. And I know just from the level of interest I got in the posts I did on Facebook. Just took a picture of your sign, posted it on Facebook, and we just looked at the stats together. Over seven thousand people have seen that post That's already, right. and that just means that people are interested. That's what that means. So So I predict you're going to do very well.
2: I hope so. I mean, no, I mean cheese and wine charcuterie.
0: It's a new concept, but I think Asheville's ready for it. Absolutely. Just kidding. Yeah, Yeah. cheese and wine with charcuterie is just going to be a hit for you guys. I think so. Especially, it sounds like you're very thoughtful about it. So that's what Asheville loves: thoughtful food. And thoughtful
2: food is our business. You know, thoughtful abundance. Uh, food. You there know. you go. You'll never get a small portion
0: of anything for us. That's right good. on. Well, yeah. we 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 all had to look up the meaning of the word gourmand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not me. I already knew because I'm a pig. But uh, yeah. yeah, Asheville was all like, "What does this word mean?" So yeah, now we know. It means giant piles of food. It means yeah. people who love They'll gourmet, learn, gourmet loves fine food. Gourmand loves a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I call myself a little bit of both. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Oh, and it's it's you guys, I can good good tell line. you. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again for talking with me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. And we'll see you soon. Cheers. Yeah. All right. All right, everybody. That's pretty much the show for this week. I hope you enjoyed the interviews. Uh, Before I let you go, I'm going to just do a little bit of a review of a few things that I've eaten recently. And last week, I announced... That brunch is back. I made a big deal about announcing that brunch is back as a concept, as a meal. The restaurants are starting to add their brunch menus back to their schedule, and it's a big deal. It means that the food industry is recovering uh, still, still in recovery from the 2020 shutdowns and such. So uh, I recently ate a lot of breakfast and brunch. Um, I, this might be the year of breakfast for me. I'm going to eat a ton of breakfast. I, every year when I write my best of reviews, I, I get to the best breakfast of the year. And I usually say, I don't eat a lot of breakfast, but now I'm going to, that's my, one of my many goals for 2023. And let me just start with the fact that the med downtown has a, has decided to bring breakfast all day. Back and yeah, they're open till 2 p.m. or something like that. They might be open a little bit later these days. Um, and they're so breakfast all day at the med, the Mediterranean. Uh, if you've been around a long time, right downtown on College Street, wonderful, simple breakfast. Uh, they must be open past two because I went in right around two and uh, I got a nice basic breakfast of two eggs over easy, bacon, and sausage. I wanted to try both and a nice. Uh, pile of potatoes and some toast and coffee so a pretty basic breakfast and it was great it was just what the doctor ordered uh and the potatoes in particular were some of the best i've had they were sort of uh boiled and then or maybe baked and then smashed i'm not sure how they uh char- par cooked them but and then smashed and then thrown into the deep fryer for a nice crispy uh edge to all of it so the potatoes were particularly good the bacon was very thin and crispy just to let you know and the sausage is made in house just to let you know that so the men breakfast all day and by all day check their hours uh that doesn't mean that you're gonna get breakfast at seven o'clock at night uh, Because they ain't open that late. Next, I went to a new place with Lucho, my friend from uh, AshevilleMulticultural.com. He and I have been going on a lot of lunch junkets lately and doing a lot of tastings and stuff. And it's a lot of fun. I really love working with Lucho. But he and I were invited to Azalea Bar and Kitchen. Uh, and it's located inside of a hotel called the Residencies at Biltmore. And it's a little hard to find, like it's easy to find the residencies and then you get up in that parking lot and then it's actually really hard to find the restaurant. It's in the same building that you check in to the hotel through. And uh, and if you can find that building, then you can find the restaurant. But you do have to kind of look around for it. Hopefully they took our advice and have invested in more signage uh, for their restaurant. But we both had an enjoyable meal there. Lucho, in particular, loved his eggs benedict. He crushed them. I, again, went with a fairly basic breakfast, eggs, sausage, pancake. And I like to put my eggs and sausage on top of the pancake and add maple syrup and then cut it all up. And it was great. I I loved it. So really nice breakfast at Azalea Bar and Kitchen. Just outside of downtown, just inside of Biltmore Village at the residencies at Biltmore, a hotel that might have a couple of condominiums in it as well. And uh, next, I want to talk about I've been going to Session Cafe a little bit more lately because their hours have expanded and they have added breakfast every day. So they're doing daily breakfast. And on Mondays, they're doing a different, featuring a different kind of pancake and doing pancake breakfast on Mondays. Haven't had a chance myself to get into the pancake breakfast yet, but I did go in and I got the char sui. Now, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. It could be char sui. Uh, or it could be pronounced something totally differently. Uh, it's C H R C H A R. That part's pretty easy, and then S U I sweet, and that is a roasted pork, a Cantonese style roasted pork. Chef Mark uh, served it up with some collards and basmati rice, and and an egg on top. That's what makes it breakfast, right? Or brunch, really. That that was more of a brunch item, and it was fantastically good. Like I couldn't stop eating it. And I was like, oh, this is a huge portion. I'm going to save half of this for later. And I ate about four-fifths of it right then and there. And then I was stuffed and I couldn't eat any more. But there wasn't enough left on the plate to bring it home. So I powered down as much of that pork as I could. And I ate all the huge chunks of bacon out of the collards. Might have left some of the collards and rice behind. I'm sorry. But when it's a hierarchy of what I can fit in my belly... And I'm not kidding. If an animal sacrificed its life or, you know, it didn't sacrifice its life. It was killed to uh, put some meat on my plate. I'm always going to eat that before I eat the vegetables. And, yeah, it is sort of a personal taste preference as well. I like meaty bits more than I like greeny bits. But it's also, like, out of respect for the fact that that was a living creature and I want to finish it all Um, if I can. You know, like, it's been slaughtered. I want to honor it by using it for the purpose that it was slaughtered for. I don't know. My vegan listeners are freaking out right now. Uh, So those were my breakfast experiences. Apart from I went to a super awesome tasting slash family meal at Chestnut. They have just introduced their brunch starting, as I record this, today, Friday, February. 3rd, is it? I got to look at my own calendar here. Yeah, Friday, February 3rd. Uh, They have started their brunch Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And so yesterday on Thursday, they invited me and a couple of other food writers to come in and try the entire brunch menu along with the entire staff. They had like what they call the family meal. And when they do a new menu, they want the whole staff to get familiar with it. They want to get input from the staff, not just on the way that it tastes, but on the ease of serving it to people. So it was really interesting after the food was served and consumed, they they had their meeting about it. And it was interesting for me to hear them being like, this would be easier if such and such was in a ramekin rather than on the plate uh, or vice versa, you know, and so there, it, it's always fun to be on the inside for these things, especially if there's like a boatload of food involved, which was the case here. So look forward to breakfast for to brunch at Chestnut on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from now on. I will recommend the chicken and waffle was excellent. The breakfast burger was great. Um, surprisingly for me, the quinoa salad, one of their vegan options, was really good actually it might have been vegetarian because i think there was some cream cheese involved but it was really really tasty uh there were about 10 dishes served total no clunkers among them everything was great and so i'm looking forward to going back and enjoying a regular sit-down brunch at chestnut so get on in there when you can get that brunch and that's it that's all i got for you today those are uh Oh, I I just wanted to mention eating my way through the white duck menu, white duck tacos. I have had a uh, jerk chicken taco recently, and it was fantastic. Now, I posted some pictures on Facebook. The pictures don't look like much. It just looks like a big sort of purple mess because it's got some purple slaw on top of it but it was super delicious so I'm uh, about halfway through the menu at White Duck and I'll keep reporting to you on that All right, folks that is the show for today thank you for listening thank you to my guests for being on today's show thank you WPVM uh, 103.7 the progressive voice of the mountains for taking my humble podcast and turning it into a radio show that's pretty cool I like that follow me on social media at Facebook Instagram I I posted my first TikTok video last just yesterday. So check that out. Uh, it's Stu Helm Food Fan across the board. And please subscribe to my Substack newsletter. All right, folks, have a great week. I'll talk to you next week. Bye bye. This episode of the Food Fans Radio Show was underwritten in part by Asheville Food Tours. Did you know that there are over 200 places to eat and drink in downtown Asheville alone? It can be overwhelming. Whether you're a visitor or a local, there's no better way to experience downtown Asheville than taking a food tour with Asheville Food Tours. Details, pricing, and an easy-to-use calendar can be found at AshevilleFoodTours.com. That's AshevilleFoodTours.com.